Hi, and welcome to Modes of Interpretation, hosted by me, Louis DeSalvio. This is going to be a very intimate film and television podcast where I go over some of my favorite films or some of my least favorite films or films that have just piqued my interest recently and invite a friend on and talk to them about our thoughts. For this week, our special guest host is the Ashley Michelle. Ashley's been a friend of mine for years and years and years and years and years. Um, I find her a very valuable source of knowledge on film. I think she has a lot of interesting ideas and opinions. And uh, the movie that I brought her on to talk about is one that when Ashley and I started becoming really, really close, I was almost obsessed with. And I just really fell in love with this movie. It came out a few years ago. I don't know why I'm beating around the bush. I guess I'll just say what we're watching this week. We've chosen Disney Pixar's Luca, which came out in June of 2021. I'm going to read a brief description of the film. I'm taking it straight from Letterboxd. And then we'll kind of get into more of our thoughts about it. to Letterboxd, Luca is about two young boys who experience an unforgettable Italian summer filled with gelato, pasta, and an endless scooter ride. Uh, but the fun is threatened by a deeply held secret. They are sea monsters from another world just below the water's surface. This kind of takes me immediately uh, to what Ashley texted me the first time she put on the film to watch it, which was, uh, I believe, something along the lines of The Little Mermaid Who. Is that right, Ashley? Yeah, What in The Little Mermaid? I, I've seen that sentiment a lot. I've seen a lot of other people who've talked about the film immediately kind of go after, like, this is The Little Mermaid. And, like, yeah, it is The Little Mermaid. <laughs> to, be, to be fair it's not the beginning gives little mermaid because he's under the water he's the sea monster the humans like like the first scene of the whole movie is like one of the who we later find out to be alberto but like one of the sea monsters trying to like get things off of the human boat and then the humans like trying to kill or like seeing the sea monster as a threat and then later in the film, Luca's parents being like, you can't go to the surface because they're going to kill you, which is literally just the Little Mermaid. Humans are bad. You will die. But yeah. I want my human treasures. I think, I think, though, it is a little bit more developed than the Little Mermaid is in terms of some things. There are other aspects of the story, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, that, uh, I think the world of the undersea in The Little Mermaid is definitely a bit more explored. Um, I think there's a lot of things in yeah. Luca's undersea world that um, are kind of just left up to the imagination. But I mean, immediately in this film, as opposed to The Little Mermaid, you have this conflict between humans and sea creatures that's a little bit more resonant. I mean, there's a lot of animosity in The Little Mermaid for like King Triton against the humans but you don't really see that in terms of humans hating sea creatures it doesn't really come up again i mean like you have a man try to marry an octopus in that movie and everyone's like okay with it for a second they're confused but they're okay with it um 
so yeah i do think you know immediately we kind of set off on a similar path um but there are twists and turns which make this i feel like stand on its own and and it it is the little mermaid but it's so not the little mermaid that i think it works in its own accord i would agree with that i think it definitely like i think it was just more of an establishing thing to like establish just the relationship that was like already there which like i get but i don't know like we could have we could have had more of an original thought in that aspect i guess but it's fine i think the biggest separation between the two though is definitely the protagonist i think a problem with the little mermaid and it's still a problem even with the remake of the little mermaid um is that ariel lacks so much agency as a protagonist and here you really see throughout the film luca makes his own choices does things for himself it's not just because he's in love or he's got a whim he's got a dream him and ariel both share that but the way that he goes about it is actually like fulfilling for a character arc and i don't think that's necessarily the case with ariel no i i don't know if i completely agree with that because i think they just have two different goals i think they have two different like okay to be let's here's the thing with little mermaid little mermaid is a disney princess movie right and like so all disney princess movies at least the bit older ones tend to have this theme of like find the man that's it it's all for the man type vibe you know so it, it, she had her goal she was a woman with a vision in her own right well but it wasn't was like her vision was to be out of the sea wish i could be part of their world you know what i mean but i mean luca yeah. you know Luca has a similar dream, I think. Yeah, that's true. It's just, uh, I think his dream is, like, better. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's a controversy. Maybe that's a hot take. Maybe that's a hot take for the pod. But I think that I think that Luca does the Little Mermaid story a lot better than the Little Mermaid does. I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think that, like, I just think they're just two different movies. Like, I think they start with, like, establishing the same type of relationship, but I just think, like, beyond that, they're just completely two different movies. But, like, that was just the initial impression, because that was, like, the first 20 seconds of the movie. That's that. Like, that was, like, literally the first impression. But, like, it obviously changed drastically once yeah. I started actually watching so i think let's uh let's just kind of run down the movie scene by scene let's talk about what our thoughts are i mean at least that's how i took my notes very chronologically so obviously you mentioned that the movie opens with this little scene where we quickly establish the uh, villainization of these sea creatures from the human perspective um, and we also get a little insight into how the character of Alberto kind of is living his life. We don't know this character yet. We haven't been introduced to him. But as the movie progresses, we get filled in more on, oh, so that's what he was doing all this time. He's just kind of running around living his own life. He's very adult. He's like grown up by himself. Um, and I think that's very important to establish that character, even if we don't really know it's that character until you know 20 30 more minutes in the movie you could definitely tell it was pretty obvious from the get-go like what alberto was supposed to be you know like in that sense like there was no like kind of finding out for yourself the minute he was like sitting there and he was like my dad went out for cigarettes or whatever the time, <laughs> my dad my milk and uh, yeah. you know. my dad's super chill no, dad dad left i think i was able to piece that together pretty quickly 
but I think the dynamic worked really well. Like, I think he was definitely a necessary character for what the film was going for in terms of, like, Luca finding his own way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think us being able to put the pieces together doesn't take away from that, the way that arc is handled, though, either. Because, I mean, obviously, Dad went out to buy milk, Dad never came back. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> like, it was movie. obvious. Like, if I was a child, I think I'd be gagged. Like, if I was a child and, like, I got to the scene towards, like, the, you know, last act of the movie where he's like, why do you have all those lines on your wall? And it's like, all the days my dad didn't come back and then I stopped counting, you know, and I was a child and I heard that, I'd be like, oh my god. Yeah. Like, that makes so much sense uh, like obviously i was like no no shit like <laughs> it's like really really you know but yeah he was still a good character regardless i just like <laughs> you know we knew we've been new he pulled a princess fiona from shrek we understand we've been yeah. there we've played we these it. games before um yeah, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about how that arc develops as we go along. I think very quickly on, we start to establish that obviously this is going to be a fish out of water story, no pun intended, but absolutely yes, pun intended. Um, and I think what the movie sets up really well, and it kind of drops it in the latter half of the movie, which I'm a little upset about, but I under I think I understand why it does this, um, is Luca's overactive imagination. His like his his strong mm. desire to be somewhere else, to do something else, to make something more of himself. One of his first lines in the movie is when he's talking to one of his fish that he's hurting, because he's a fish shepherd, which oh, let's talk about <laughs> dynamics. Yeah, there's a lot of things. <laughs> um uh and he says uh, he's either dead or he's out there somewhere seeing the world. And you really get a sense for not only what Luca's inherent desire is, he wants to see the world, basic, clear, plain, but also you then kind of transition into this little vision that he's having of this sailor on a boat. The sailor ends up being Alberto once again, a nice little foreshadowing moment for us. But it, it it very clearly sets the intention for the entire film. You understand what your protagonist wants. You understand where this movie is going to go. I think the treat of this movie, the delight of this movie, is that it is this fish-out-of-water story. It is this slice-of-life story. But it has so much more under the surface. Once again, no pun intended. No, that makes sense. But just to, like, before we... There's, there's a lot to talk about with a lot of things you said. But we're just going to go, like sequentially and how you said it <laughs> starting with um him having an overactive imagination i i literally wrote this in my notes it just says is luca a dreamer or delulu because like i'm watching this movie and he's <laughs> it's literally it was like i was taking a psychedelic i was like you have like luca we need to pick a reality and stick to it because like <laughs> you know i get it like i understand what it's going for and it got better like the, the i don't i'm not gonna call them visions <laughs> the visions got like more yeah they got more relevant i guess as the story went along but like especially at the beginning it was kind of just like he would randomly like hop into this and you would think it was happening and then it would just cut to him being like oh like snap back in reality like he just like dissociated for a second which like I get it. He was having a moment. He was having a moment, but I was also like, mental illness, Luca. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that you get to see Luca's world 
be shaped as it goes along his imaginative world i mean our first vision we see it's very simple it's very plain it's him like the water doesn't even break as he peers over the water to look out onto the human world and then i think the next vision is him uh riding on the vespa over ground even though he we've just established that gravity exists not not even seconds before that um right. <laughs> riding over the water in a vespa yeah. and then when he hears about money money's infused into his vision so like his vision of the world starts to get more and more educated as he goes on right but I, I would say that uh luca joins both of us as a permanent resident of delulu land no a hundred percent yeah and so the next thing you mentioned was him briefly you talked about his um i guess shepherding experience i don't okay here's the thing here's the thing we can sit here and say ariel didn't have a real mission or like as individualized of an objective as luca did but at least what is it atlantis wherever she lives i don't know the city, the, the under the sea city ran by King Triton, at least had some sort of like socioeconomic structure that was like easily understandable. Luca didn't even know what money was. They said, How do we turn money into Vespa? Like, how, what do you mean? There's no I, bartering system. <laughs> I sat there and I thought about this a lot during the movie because Luca, like, Julia mentions later in the film when Luca's like, oh, I want to go to school. She's like, yeah, you can come. It costs a little bit of money, though. And I'm like, how are Luca's parents going to pay for him to go to school? Like, it's probably Massimo that does that. But how? where is he getting the money? Is it financial aid? What, do, is, do they even give financial aid to sea creatures? Like, what is it? Was, he didn't even know what money was. Like, he, <laughs> the concept of money didn't exist to him. So it's like, how are they like, oh, it's all taken care of? You know what I mean? It was that. But then it made no sense because he was clearly, like, a farmer. Like, he was clearly herding these fish for something. Maybe Luca was living in a commune under the sea. Maybe he was Amish. Maybe he was just like separated from the capitalist society. You know what I mean? He does get very hyper capitalistic as his visions grow forward. You know, like he is all about the money he's putting in the work at the end of this. No, yeah. So maybe, maybe this is a super pro capitalist movie, and we're just like not even acknowledging that. Where we're saying fuck you to communism and going straight to i'm not even saying that though because it's just like it's not the thing is it's not even like his world it, it is less developed but it's also like he went to the surface and he like had no concept of like society no. you know what i mean like at least like in the little mermaid like she was mute but she like understood like basic societal structure. Did she know how to use a fork? No, neither did Luca, but Ariel knew what money was. <laughs> Ariel knew. I don't know if she did. I don't know if money ever came up. I think it it's, comes up in the remake. It probably does. It so probably does. I, but yeah, no, he doesn't have any concept of society, which is so strange because we see him like be like, hey, Mr. Hey, Mrs. at the beginning of the movie. Like, obviously, they're all working towards a common goal there. His parents like race seashells or something that was mentioned at the beginning of the movie. So, like, the fact that the two people he says hello to, like the Miss and Mr., were um, Branzino were they mr and mrs branzino yes is that oh my god i i have that written in my notes for later because the the branzino situation in this movie is insane is nuts 
Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're working towards something. Luca yeah. is very uneducated. Luca, Luca is in need of school. Like, Alberto has it figured out a little bit. A little. Okay. okay. He was like, there are fish in the sky, which, like, I guess would make sense if you were underwater. But then you get out of the water, and then it's so clearly not fish. Like, it's so evident. Like, you don't even need a telescope to be like, the moon is not a fish. Yeah, you know what I mean? He's trying to relate. You know, maybe he's just trying to put the world... Because uh, later in the movie, when Luca learns what the actual stars are, and he's like, no, they're stars. They're like flaming balls of fire or whatever. And Alberto's like gaslighting him. He's like, no, you're wrong. They're fish. Ironically, Girl. the term gaslighting after mentioning a star. But, um... So um, back to a little bit, back towards the beginning of the movie. I don't want to get too far into the middle. Uh, Like I said, Luca envisions Alberto as his like first vision, as his first like psychedelic mushroom trip, as Ashley wants to put it. Um, And I think this is foreshadowing, obviously, very clearly foreshadowing that Alberto is going to be this big presence in the film later. Um... But I also find it very interesting that the person that he envisions on the surface is Alberto. And I think that plays into a broader reading of the film that we'll discuss later. And I think there's been two prominent readings of this movie. And I think there's evidence on both sides. And I think both are valid readings. Um but I do think there's a clear case from the very beginning, from the inception of the goals that Luca is trying to achieve and what the movie is laying out, that there is a very queer reading of this film. And uh, this, you know, the director himself has said that he made a movie about two friends. Um, but, you know, how many historians have told us about two friends in history that probably weren't friends? Well, I, I, I no, I get what you're saying. But, you know, I, when I looked into it a bit more... It was just based on, like, his best friend growing, like, the guy's name was literally Alberto, and he voices one of the fishermen in the Italian version of the movie, which I thought was so adorable. He he went to set out a movie about friendship and, like, how you grow as a person because of the friends you make along the way, which obviously, yeah. This is where you and I disagree a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Because I, I can see, I see the vision. But I don't think it's, like, as intense as people make it out to be, if that makes sense. Yeah, I disagree with that sentiment, but we'll get into it later. We'll get into it later. Any thoughts early on about the parents? Because I think that this movie wastes Jim Gaffigan and Maya Rudolph. I just don't feel like they have enough to do. I was thinking that because when they were, like, speaking in the movie... I recognized their, like, voices. I didn't, like, know it was really them until, like, I googled, like, the cast later or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
when I was also reading up on it, like the director was talking about how he let them improv a lot. Which I guess like comes out a little bit like they do have good chemistry and scenes where they're in the town actually trying to find Luca. But I, I do think they were a bit like wasted in terms of just like you don't need that much star power for those two roles if you're just gonna use them as more of like a background situation. Yeah, I think that everyone in the movie has really, really great chemistry all around. Jacob Trendley, Jack Dylan Grazer, I forget the lady who portrays um, Julia. I believe it's her first film, actually. I'm going to find that name. No, right. I think I think you're right. Emma Berman. Emma Berman, who plays Julia. Everybody has really good chemistry. Everyone plays off each other really, really well, which is so ironic because... I don't think anybody was in the studio together for the dialogue filming of this because I, I'm almost 100% positive that all of the dialogue was recorded during the COVID lockdown for this film. So nobody got to really interact with one another. But it's it's very interesting to um, to see how well everybody plays off one another. And I think that's the thing with all animated films. It's very difficult to get two people in the studio at once. Um, and to have them interact, but to have the chemistry radiate so much. I mean, these people really have to carry this film. It's so small. The world is so small. You're not looking at the visuals in the background to kind of propel you forward. You're looking at the story. Um, and even though it's a small story, you're getting a lot from these characters. No, I, I definitely agree. I think everyone in the movie had really good chemistry, and I think everyone did a good job. Like, I think sometimes with voice acting, especially when you cast people who have I don't want to say like distinct voices, but recognizable voices, I guess, you know, especially if they're famous enough. Like Jacob Tremblay has been in so many just films as a child including that like his- The Little Mermaid. He's including The Little Mermaid as the flounder. So everything is always connected. But um, I, I think like, for example, like, you know, like it's his voice, which can sometimes be like distracting, not in a good way, because you're so like, oh, my God, that's that person talking. I can't imagine them as anything else but that person. Yeah. But it didn't feel like that. Everyone really felt like they embodied the character that they were playing, which I really liked. I yeah. will say um, the I think it's pronounced Irkulai. The Irkulai. guy who was like the main, yeah, like the main villain, I guess. He, did you know that he was supposed to be 18 years old? That character is supposed to be 18 years old. I thought there's a line where uh, when he's signing up for the race, uh, he goes, I'm 16. And she says, well, you said that last year. So I assumed he was probably in the 17 range. Did not expect 18. Like he's giving a little prepubescent. I mean, like not prepubescent, but like right on the precipice of Bescent. You know what I mean? That's what he was giving you. He was giving me 40 year old man. I was I, like, this is literally like a grown man competing against children. Yeah. He's or at least that's what they portrayed taller, it to be. He's significantly taller than everybody in the town. Like, this man is a mountain. Like, the only <laughs> other person taller than him is Massimo. Yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, was so adorable, like, when... Because he, he gives, like, menacing. But he also, he reminds me of another animated character, and I can't put my finger on which one it is. It, it's, like, the same look, where it's, like, you can't see the eyes. Like, bushy. Oh, Massimo? Uh, the dad from Cloudy with a Chance Meatballs. 
It, yes. 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 It was giving like that energy, and I also really loved how when he was like on the boat and he has like his no arm and he's just like living his like fantasy, and then Alberto's like staring at his arm, and then he's like, "Oh, I got chomped off." And then he was like, "Jk, I was just born like this." I thought it was like kind of a slight. Like I thought it was like nice to see that it wasn't. It doesn't always have to be this like over dramatic like war hero story. Like it's okay. Like people like live their life and go about their life with like disabilities and slay the day away. Yeah, some people are just born that way. You know what I mean? Which plays into a broader reading of the film that we'll talk about later. <laughs> just saying the oh themes God. are apparent. I'm just saying the themes are apparent. Um, as we continue on, uh, I have it in my notes. The score of this movie is so incredible. It is one of my favorite scores of, I think, the last decade. It is just so poignant. You feel so deeply and the use uh, not outside of the score the use of this old kind of 40s 50s italian music to draw you into this hyper stylized world that feels like an old cartoon meets this like new cgi way of story and storytelling it's just the the vibes that that they set here with those things are just impeccable and i don't think i've seen that out of pixar in a movie since inside out which was i think six maybe seven years prior to this film yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. I'm I'm much more of a visuals person. I, like I focus a lot more on like the visuals than I do on like the music. Not that the, I'm saying the music was bad. The music was fantastic. I was more like tuned into exactly like how it looked, and that's like a lot of what I focused on because I thought it was interesting the way, and the director talked about this a little bit too. Like the way they tried to not only balance because they were trying to go for a very specific vibe, like. It was obviously based on his childhood where he grew up, specifically the Cinque Terre region of Northwest Italy, which apparently is this like, it's just like these little seaside villages all like basically connected to one another right on the coast. What's interesting is those little seaside villages are very isolated. They're like popular tourist spots, but you can't get to them by car. You have to go like, you know, and I thought it was interesting how he tried to capture that very like almost otherworldly quality that this real place has Mm -hmm. because it has its own aesthetic and the way he so expertly balanced the 3d animation style that pixar is known for and the way just the characters look but also like the actual scenery has this almost like 2d watercolor effect to it that preserves like the integrity of what that area looks like which i think goes hand in hand with the music because like the music plus like keeping that integrity visually really helps establish exactly where the characters are and how important their you know location is you have this great balance of um sometimes hyper realistic backgrounds this realism that pixar was really trying to do in that era and really trying to capture with this over stylized character design and 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 crazy animations where you have I, I they mentioned this a little bit um some of the cast and crew and some of their talkings where they mentioned that uh the water world they're they're trying to come after a more poetic movement with very muted and dull colors and then when you go out to the real world you just get this like shining bright greens bright yellows just every color on the palette thrown right at your eyes and it worked really really well because we've already established that our characters are so colorful 
inside of their personalities and inside of their character designs, even though the world surrounding them has these kind of muted, duller tones within this grandiose scale. I think it's, I think it's really, really brilliant. And you can see the clear inspiration that uh, the director Enrico Casarosa has from directors like Hayao Miyazaki on the Studio Ghibli films. I mean, he named the town Porto Rosso, which is a riff on Porco Rosso. Um, so it's very clearly inspired by that. It's very clearly inspired by that kind of storytelling as well with the slice of life thing. And I think he captures it in a really interesting way that not only takes on what Studio Ghibli did and says, these things are incredible, these things are impactful, but also establishes it for a new canon for the Pixar audience, which I think can be a very different audience than what Ghibli is trying to attain. So mm-hmm. I think wonderful meshing of these two kind of kinds of worlds and kinds of storytellings that creates something I find really profound. I, I, I agree. I think lately Pixar especially has kind of gotten stuck into this rut of like they have their style. It's beautiful to look at, but it's like it can get a little bit repetitive. And especially nowadays, you know, there are good Pixar movies, but we're not living in the golden age of Pixar circle like 2003 when they were on the money, you know? Yeah. So it's it's a bit like, I don't want to say stale, but for lack of a better term, stale. And I think Luca is a nice like breath of fresh air both plot wise and visually because it's combining everything that pixar has been doing but also like you said bringing in this new aspect to it and especially the whole like anime community is so a big part of that world of storytelling is visuals and i and i think it really shows here how his inspiration from anime played into the visual component of the story which i think is really great and also he shouted out bestie Wes Anderson, you know, for his like stop. Of course, Wes Anderson does like stop motion animation, but still Wes Anderson has the very specific visuals yeah. specific to him and his vibe. And I think it is an interpolation of that just in terms of color and all that, which I thought was really well done. Yeah, you really, really see his inspirations and you not only see those inspirations, you see him take them a step further. You see him level them up. And I haven't seen a Pixar film since. I believe the films that have released since have been Turning Red um, and uh, Elemental. Uh, it was Elemental, yeah. Elemental. Elemental. Oh, Soul. Was Soul? I, I think Soul may have been. I, it was below before, yeah. Um, I haven't seen a Pixar movie since, and I really enjoyed Elemental. I'm not so fond of Turning Red. Um that really elevates the studio. I think this is kind of a shining gem in a sea of lackluster films. And you know what's so funny? The one that we forgot to mention, Lightyear, um, of yeah. the three new ones that came out, it really shows. Lightyear is a film that is so paint by numbers, is so boring, is so... It just, just it doesn't do anything. It doesn't but that's, that's the rut that Pixar and Disney as a whole is kind of in right now especially with all these live action remakes of older movies it's like not and no more are people trying to really come up with their own original ideas or something that will like shift the narrative as to what disney is doing before they're kind of just recycling old stories and characters that they know work and know will make them money because everything is just such like a money grab now and luca perfectly toes that line because not only was an original narrative 
with its own vision, but it was also very commercially successful. And it was able to bring in this new wave of characters for Disney to, you know, futurely exploit for money. <laughs> but like in the moment, you know, it's it's standing on its own. Yeah, I think the biggest thing the pandemic pandemic took away from me was not being able to see this movie in a theater. I say that as a joke, of course. This movie, I feel like, deserves to be seen on a hot summer day, sitting in the air conditioning. Just, you know, you've had you've had a bad day. It's the middle of the summer and you're like, God, I wish I was at the beach. I wish I was exploring Italy. I wish I was somewhere else. And this is such a perfect, like, transportation to somewhere else that I just, oh, I would have loved to sit in a theater and watch this movie and it's sad that you know we had to watch it on disney plus and they didn't do all these screenings for it but i'm i'm really glad that you know the film was released regardless and i think uh the acclaim and the connection that people have to this film is really clear i mean when when this film came out i know in terms of our generation we saw a ton of people talking about it on tiktok it was you know a very popular tiktok sound the silencio bruno thing um still what a what a waste of not putting chikatita in this movie i feel like everybody would <laughs> like really bit the dust on that one i i feel like a lot of people know this film and i'm glad because i don't see the same for elemental i don't see the same for turning red i don't even see the same for soul i think out of all of the movies or Lightyear, out of all the movies that pixar has released since the pandemic this is the one that people go oh i remember that one i'm fond of that one I think each of those other movies that you named that Pixar has released, you know, recently do in their own right, you know, serve their own audiences, have their own messages. And I do think they resonate with people and they have messages. But I I think I think a lot of times I mean, granted, I haven't seen Elemental. Mm -hmm. So please, I don't know the plot. Bear with me in this statement. But I think those other movies have very specific messages for very specific groups i guess for lack of a better term whereas this one feels a lot more general because even though there's many interpretations of the relationships in these movies in general the movie is focused on friendship and just growing up which are two things all people can pretty much relate to regardless of age and that feeling you know but at the same time that's not to negate the fact that this movie also does resonate with very specific groups of people specifically of course lgbt community and you know i have seen some rhetoric regarding the film as an interpretation for like refugees or immigrants also like race relations in general i know the director specifically like kind of pinpointed that as one of his primary goals with the movie but he's glad that so many people have interpreted it the other two ways as well but yeah i think we should go into the interpretations of this film because that's a big big reason why it blew up film was released you had a lot of people talking about well why is pixar making a movie about like two you know guy friends like who cares you know what i mean and i feel like telling 
especially a male-centric story about childhood friendship is really important. I feel like it's a story that we don't see a lot of times. And I think um, there's something really impactful to be said, and I don't know if it's fully said in this film, about how male friendships kind of um, change and evolve as men grow up. But it's really interesting to see kind of this just open, fluid relationship that um, nobody's questioning, nobody's putting their hands down on. And I think it, it opens it up for a lot of people to look at it a lot of different ways. The way that I interpret this film, and like I said, I, I see the argument for why some people are like, no, this is a narrative about just friends. For me, this film is so clearly about... Um, kind of coming to terms with understanding that maybe you are a queer person you know what i mean mm -hmm. maybe um you have feelings for the same sex and and how that kind of evolves in the way that you treat other people and you treat your close friends um and i think i think that rhetoric is so clearly woven throughout even if it wasn't the director's expressed intention i mean like you have massimo at the very beginning with the arm not very beginning it's kind of the middle of the movie but with his arm saying i'm just born this way you have luca and alberto kind of forming this rivalry as Al uh, luca gets closer to julia and, and alberto kind of showing his true colors that he's very attached to luca you have luca and alberto's willingness to to always kind of be there for each other and one up one another in a way that's like i'm going to take care of you and i'm going to take care of you to the fullest extent not to the minimalist extent and you and you see them kind of grow together and alberto's always there pushing luca saying you know i love you i'm here for you doing what's best for him going out of his way and that that's a very friendly thing to do of course but i think this is a level that's that's pushed even further and i think the final nail on the coffin of this interpretation is the grandma's line at the end where she basically says that some people will never accept them and some people will and they'll know how to find the people that will and i think that is so i think that's resonated with me and i think that's resonated with other members of the queer community as well um because you know not all of us have families not all of us have people that we can go to um and we have to make our own family that's a very clear dynamic here and luca spends most of the film running away from his family creating his own family with julia and alberto and the grandma really perpetuates that rhetoric of he knows who he is and he'll be able to find other people that are just like him and he'll be able to be loved by those other people as well not to say that he's not loved by his parents because his parents are there for that conversation very loving worried about him because they want him to be safe they want him to be happy and the grandma assures them that you know it's going to be fine he's going to be okay at the end of the day and i think that's an important message for a lot of queer people to hear um it's not all sunshines and rainbows <laughs> no pun intended it, it's a very unique story and i think it's one that is so perfect for a queer allegory. They're hiding something underneath. They're sea monsters. There's something that society views as abhorrent, um, but really they're just full of love and they're just here to live their best life. I definitely, I definitely agree with you. And that was definitely like, like I said, like it was definitely clear to me how that interpretation 
you know, arose from the film, even if, like you said, it wasn't the expressed intent of what the director was going for. It's definitely very clear to me how that came across. And I think it's also important what you said to, like, be able to just be comfortable and recognize these things and talk about it openly. And it's not, and that whole message of it, like, the the whole point of the movie is acceptance, you know? acceptance no matter who you are or where you come from type of thing which I think is also why it fits into the some sort of outside or like ostracization by society as a whole type narrative as well and I think it's important that those stories are told and like you said I think the bond between the characters is really something special especially between Alberto and Luca because a lot of a lot of people they're your experiences root from maybe they've always known of course you know but maybe it's never something they were super conscious about or it was something subconscious that never really came out until they had this friendship with a person until they were really able to get close to somebody of the same sex who was going through similar things living a similar experience which I think is what's so beautifully done in this movie because even though Alberto and Luca have different you know familial situations in terms of just like Alberto not having a family and Luca. <laughs> hey, daddy issues are super queer too. You know what I mean? Exactly, you know? <laughs> but I I think just that bond that they have is so special and how close they get to one another. And I think Alberto's protection, protective nature of, you know, Luca as well as his just like very clingy vibe with Luca, you know. I think I think that stems that could definitely stem from the you know feeling that you were like you put a lot of emotion in this person you now have developed feelings for this person that you've never felt before and that makes the stakes so much higher you know because it's like will I ever find this again is this what it really means to be happy so on and so forth which I think is like really devastating for a lot of queer people because I think they get you know shut down by expressing these feelings to someone that they're close to or they're those feelings are just negated and I think it's important that those feelings are acknowledged and they don't necessarily have to be reciprocated by the same person, but there can still be a love there, even if it's not necessarily romantic. And I think I think it's important because I feel like the movie addresses both of those things as well. You have um, Al- Luca's betrayal of Alberto in the film saying basically like, oh, you're this thing, but I'm not. You're a sea monster, but I'm not. Yeah. That's you. And I feel like that's something that a lot of queer people have experienced as well. Even Definitely. In- with people you know you get close to somebody you're you're on the same level you come to an understanding of maybe these are the things that we feel and somebody's denial somebody's betrayal of their own identity comes to hurt you it reminds me of that scene in perks of being a wallflower where patrick is having a relationship with like that football player or the popular guy in school or whatever but he's closeted because of his dad and then in the middle of the cafeteria they get into this like spat or whatever and he calls him you know the f slur and it's it's kind of like oh i thought you know we were together in this even though like i'm more open than you are we were still on the same page we still like had this mutual kind of protectiveness of each other and that kind of betrayal i think said a lot and i think especially because alberto has these already deep-setted abandonment and attachment issues just from being left in a stone (laughs) cylinder by his fish father who went out for cigarettes and never came back i think i think that's like a double-edged sword i think that's why the relationship can be seen so many ways because it's like 
is this, oh, I have feelings for this person or, or is it also just, oh, I like finally found someone I'm safe with and that like someone that's close to me or it can be both. But I think it's also really, I love that the arc for Alberto wasn't just like Alberto gets cast to the side or has to have the same journey as Luca. I love that he was able to find the father figure in Massimo and Massimo was able to find the, I think the constant child because I don't like Massimo is not a main character but I think he has like an interesting character like the way he is yeah is very interesting because like it's it's very briefly mentioned that Julia goes to live with her mother during the school year and only sees him really in the summer for this brief period of time which I can imagine is hard on a parent and he you know he's alone and and I think you know he feels this sort of protectiveness for alberto because he can tell he he's like i see i see the trauma i see you i i see the abandonment the loneliness you know mm-hmm. and i think that's really cute and i think it's nice to see that they each have their own arcs i will say i also thought it was interesting because it was giving me they could be gay for each other no doubt right mm-hmm. but what was also another way of reading that was like it was one-sided for like Alberto because Luca would like be very you know with Julia or whatever because that could be purely friendly they're you know animated characters you know you know they had their little romance and that can be a very jealous thing you know that can be very hard for someone to deal with when you feel so strongly for somebody yeah and I think there's two ways to read that too and I kind of picked up more on the second reading um the less queer reading if you will um, this time around when I watched the film, I mean, you see Alberto get very upset that Luca's spending more time with Julia, that Luca's becoming closer with Julia. And I think you can take that as Alberto has these feelings for Luca. He feels that he's trusted, he trusts Luca and that they, you know, they're growing together and maybe he, these feelings are deeper than just traditional friendship or you see Alberto feel frustrated that Luca's taking his eyes off of their shared goal, their shared goal of getting a Vespa and riding around the world and being free and, and, and not being materialistic and just living their own lives. I think you can see kind of both of those, depending on which, how you want to read the film, but I think they're both valid interpretations of how Alberto is feeling. And I love that this movie is, is one so short, you know, it's an hour and 25 minutes without credits. Um, that it doesn't it doesn't expressly need to go into all of these things. It doesn't need to tell us one right. How like I- at the end of the day, it's a children's movie, right? It's it's for kids. It's not supposed. It can be like unintentionally, but it's not supposed to be this ultra deep. I I we were talking about this earlier. Like it, it's like call me by your name for kids, right? It's call me by your name toned down and shortened for children, mm-hmm. basically, right? So like. If you want the full experience, go watch Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. But, but like, Sorry By Your Name is what Luca is. Exactly. Exactly. Keep the fish puns rolling in, you know? <laughs> rolling in. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> two for two on the pod. I think that there, the movie is so, like I said, broad in its message and just the relationships it establishes. It's open to so many interpretations. Um, I do think that it's interesting, just to pivot a little bit, that the director had originally intended it for it to be more of a racial, I guess, you know. Allegory. 
Yeah, for it to be like a racial commentary versus, you know, a queer commentary, immigrant commentary, what have you, you know. Well, I, I thought that was interesting. Is, is absolutely there as well. I mean, it's expressively there. Um, these are people. No, they, yeah. Yeah. These are people of a different race inherently. And, and while they're able to kind of mask their personalities quite literally, um, there are still things that that throw other people off you still even julia gives looks to luca sometimes she's like what are you talking about like what you, you you've got right that i don't understand fully what i love and this also like takes me to something that i did really want to talk about is some people feel the ending of the film the way the town accepts luca and alberto and his parents and the two lesbians because there's a hundred percent lesbian fish <laughs> I see it no other way. There is no other reading of those women. It's very fast. I, and it's because, you know, we're at the end of the movie. Let's let's go. Let's finish it off. Yeah. But also, I think that the acceptance isn't fully there. And I think the movie illustrates that really, really well. Because you have, you know, Hercules defeated. Nobody's listening to him because who gives a shit about Hercule? <laughs> um, right. At the end of the day, who cares? You still see the fishermen try to go and capture Luke and Alberto, and then Massimo stands behind them and he's like, "Do it! Come, come on, come touch me!" Because to get through these kids, you're gonna have to get through me. And it shows the importance of you know allies in in any community, I think. And it also shows that the world is not fully accepting. And the grandma's line, like I mentioned earlier, reiterates this: the world will never be fully accepting. The world will never. Okay. Be I think that's what made, like, I think that's what I was trying to get at with the whole racial commentary thing. I think that's what made me so, not that I didn't see what the director was going for. I just thought that that was interesting that that was the one. Mm -hmm. Because those other sort of more, like, like, the lens of the film is more acceptance, like you said. And they're not, like, fully accepting of these people, you know, and... To me, like, I wouldn't read that so much as, like, a racial thing. Not that that couldn't be, but it was just, like, I think the other interpretations feed more into that rhetoric that was established because they are so quick to quote-unquote accept, even though not everyone's fully accepting. I don't see that as much because I feel like with race, it's such a complex issue and it's such a deep-rooted issue that I think there would be much more of a conversation or need to establish that aspect of the story more because mm-hmm. they really like the core of the story is the relationships mm-hmm. and i and i think like if we're going more on race and visual like physical differences the story doesn't really like go i you know what i mean like yeah. it's under the surface like you say it's not like race is such like a surface thing no, I think for as quick as the ending of the film is, through whatever lens you're really trying to analyze or look at this movie, the ending and the actions of the characters, they're fast, they're quick, and that's not going to work for everybody. But I do think if you actually take the time and sit down and really look at what are the sh- what are the composition of the shots saying? What are the characters in the frame saying? How is this proceeding? I think there's a lot of nuance there. You have people that are yeah. starting to feel accepted for the first time. You have 
people in the town who are absolutely against it. And we don't get to see the transformation of Luca's world. We don't get to see the island one year later and maybe the statue's been fixed and we're not hunting fish people anymore. And now we're living and we don't we don't know all of that. I know there's some short right. stories are produced that count as sequels and maybe they have the answers to those questions, but there's some allegories that work better than others that are more fulfilling to the viewer than others. And I think race is definitely one of them, but one that can be more fulfilling is definitely a queer allegory or an immigrant allegory. I think that, um, go see Elemental though, because Elemental has a phenomenal immigrant story. I think there's a lot that you can get out of this small little slice of life movies. And we were talking about this a little bit earlier, pre-pod, during our pre-pod discussion, um, uh, where we talked about a movie like After Sun, which is in and of itself a slice of life movie, more or less. And with these movies that they're, they're set in this very, you know, a week, a day, a month, a very small mm-hmm. amount of time, the stakes aren't uber crucial. Um, there's a lot that you can explore with your characters. And I think that Pixar, Pixar is one, one of their greatest strong suits is their their storytelling is very character oriented. Um, and it's so nice to see them tackle characters that work on so many different levels that work on so many different planes here um in a movie that's shorter than a lot of their other filmography in a movie that's focused on so much less and yet i think speaks to so much more you know what i mean um yes exactly exactly i'm not gonna sit here and say like this movie speaks more than Wally does when Wally is, you know, inherently this environmentalist piece. Um, but I can say that this movie, I feel, speaks more than Up does. And Up uh, was a film that was nominated for Best uh, best Picture at the Oscars, not even just Best Animated Feature. just think in general that I sometimes struggle especially as I've gotten older with watching animated movies and movies in general because TikTok has rotted my brain and I have the attention span of a fly so I struggle a bit especially trying to get through the first act of a movie where it's a lot of establishing and with kids movies I think it's a bit harder just because it seems redundant, but you have to also keep in the back of your mind, this is for a child, like a six-year-old should be able to, you know, understand what's happening. And I will say I did not feel that way with Luca. I was really, like, pretty much in it from the very beginning. Like, I was entranced. It felt like a short, like, like it is a shorter movie, but it really felt like a quick watch. Like, sometimes those shorter animated movies can still feel like they drag on for eons, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I think it just, it really, 
it did a good job and it genuinely had like good writing like the characters didn't sound like children like in a children's movie sometimes it can sound like it's written purposely to be very simplified and I think it was written in a way that still was like entertaining for adults and other things which I think animated movies in general do a lot better now with like it doesn't sound so you know oh hello what's your name you know <laughs> preschool dialogue preschool yeah. dialogue yeah no and you know what's so funny is the last two times I've been to the movie theaters I've seen um films that run about an hour and a half and this movie I sat down to rewatch it I haven't watched it in probably six months maybe eight um and I was like oh my god that's what an hour and a half feels like like that that was fast that was a quick watch it was a quick watch and I think it's just because it's so well paced they didn't really like I, the ending is a bit rushed but not in a bad like not in a bad way it's still very evenly well paced and yeah, yeah. Movie, I think that's like a very big strong thing it's very much on the mark the entire film is mm -hmm. the level of filmmaking shown here is really really exemplary and it's so great i know it's not enrico casarosa's directorial debut but it is his first i believe feature length film at pixar and um to bring him back for more let him let him really take off and soar because this is uh he brings something so unique to the table he makes it his own and he makes you really jive with his world and his characters um and that's he has a sense of nostalgia Yes, yes, and that's so apparent throughout the film. He's very nostalgic yes. for Italy, his home country. He's very nostalgic for this period of time in his life, and clearly he has a lot to say about these things, too. Which, But it's not, but it's also, like, not just his own life. Like, it, not that you feel like you've watched it before, mm -hmm. but it's reminiscent of good film. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. It's reminiscent. I think there are ways that it's reminiscent of a John Hughes movie. I think there's ways that it's reminiscent of a Studio Ghibli movie. I think um, there's ways that it's reminiscent of good old classic Pixar. You know what I mean? When you think of, mm -hmm. I think, I really do think this movie fits right in amongst these other pillars of Pixar, like Finding Nemo or The Incredibles or Toy Story. I think it's right up there with those when you say what is a great story that is told from us from Pixar's mm -hmm. perspective and this is so different than the stories that Pixar has told us before and I think like you said that comes with the skill of the director and the team behind him because mm -hmm. like let's not discredit you know all, like he is the director but so many people work on animation films it's unbelievable you know and it's they deserve to be acknowledged just as much and I think I, not to bring him up again, but Bestie Wes Anderson. I saw a um, interview with him recently where he was talking about um, just like the way he goes about like putting together his movies and like how you know certain filmmakers will like shoot in order or they'll shoot out of order and then they won't use everything or they'll change it as they're editing it, so on and so forth, you know. And this, to me, feels like a Wes Anderson animation in the sense that, like, because his animations are stop motion and they just inherently are, like, more time-consuming to make, you need to have a strong story from the beginning basically already edited together yeah. on the storyboard. Yeah. Luca felt like that. 
It felt like it was edited on the storyboard to make a clear story where nothing was wasted and everything was evenly spaced out in a way where it felt like thought went into it before it was already in production. I don't know if that's necessarily true from a lot of the things that um, animators have said on working on the film or just how the film has developed. I mean, animation is a four or five year process minimum. No, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying this is how they did it, but it felt like that. It feels <laughs> It feels put together, yeah. which is a lot more than you can say for some other Disney Pixar or Disney. Or right, Pixar exactly. Looking directly at you, Frozen 2, uh, not having any semblance of what the plot was until practically when it was released. Um, I think that, you know, it, no, it, it feels tight. It feels yeah. like a story. It feels like there's a clear vision behind it. And I feel like so much of... I'm not going to call Luca blockbuster filmmaking, but so much of these pop culture, big, big studio moments, big studio movies don't feel like that anymore. They feel yeah. like they're missing something. And it's so nice to find this little gem amongst this slew of meh. You know, I, mean, I, I agree, especially in the world like animation nowadays, like I think we got really lucky in that, you know, we were young children, pretty much, like, under the age of 11, whatever, you know. Yeah, we grew up when animation entertainment existed. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we grew up arguably in the, not the gold, not the, like the Disney Renaissance, but in like the golden age of Pixar, where mm -hmm. there was really strong animation coming out of Pixar, as well as other studios, like DreamWorks or whatever, you know. And... Th listen th let me be clear not everything was a hit but we had a lot more hits per square inch is yeah. what i'm trying to say yeah you know and there just overall it felt like people actually were passionate about the projects they were making and now we live in a time post disney you know monopoly of basically entertainment entertainment industry and like post streaming and everything where it feels like People are lazy, and all those, like, little slays, all those breaths of fresh air just hit so much harder because there's so much more garbage, especially in the world of animation now. Yeah, people are just trying to make a buck now. People are. It feels like they don't care about, because they think kids have so many options now. Everything's available on your phone. You can just go back and watch all the good animated movies that you don't need to put effort into making a good animated film anymore but that's not to discount some of the animation that's coming out of these studios especially non-disney studios i mean like puss and right. wish spider-man into and across the spider-verse like these are phenomenal right and i don't want to call them independent studios because they're not but they're not like when you think of animation they're not necessarily the first studios you think of you yeah. know you're not automatically going to jump to DreamWorks. You're not automatically going to jump to Sony Pictures Animation. You know what I mean? And it's nice to see that the studios outside of Disney are pushing, are pushing. And yeah. saying, we have a we have a place in this space. And it, I, I think that something that's really important for me, I hated Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I hated Guillermo del Toro's movie that I really liked. Um, and I feel, I'm so sorry, Guillermo. My apologies for my opinion. But, um, I think that his sentiment about there is so much behind an animated movie, you know, it's stop calling it an animated movie. It is just a movie. Animation is a medium of storytelling. It is not a mm -hmm. genre of storytelling. And I think that um, 
in today's day and age outside of the mouse house, you're seeing that push. You're you're saying, you know, this is a the, across the Spider-Verse this is a summer blockbuster. It's a summer blockbuster as big as summer blockbusters gets. But the 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 medium that has been chosen to tell that story is animation. And it's beautiful. It's stunning. It's amazing. And I need to see, I mean, that was the intention behind Lightyear. Lightyear, let's make a summer blockbuster with the medium being animation. Um, unfortunately, there, the story is just not up to par. They pulled a trick on the audience that mm-hmm. no one cared about. I think it's in, I think it's important to see that push from other studios. And I think it's important to recognize when, you know, the mouse house, the, the, the creator of animation, I know that's not true, but it's sometimes how it feels uh, is giving us something is giving us something that, that, that kind of seems like it was sweeped under the rug a little bit, but you pull yeah. it from the shelf and you go, well, this is, this is worth a lot. You know what I mean? Like this is not. There's <laughs> definitely like an earnest nature to Luca that a lot of movies are missing now and it's nice to see that that's obviously you know trying to be pushed and i think outside of like those other studios that are doing it i think disney should really look into bringing new voices not necessarily to the film space as a whole though that would be cool but like just to the world of disney because if you keep trying to use the same people for the same projects you're not getting the same results or you know not everything has to be this money grab appeal to whatever's trending because you can do those things but not intentionally if you're just telling a good story those things will come out you know at such a relevant time for people of color and queer people luca is an important story and it does that through a lens of a story that's very personal to the person who made it and it doesn't feel like they're just trying to appeal to these people out of a means of getting money or getting attention or whatever, you know? It was a story that they wanted to tell that they were passionate about. Yeah. So come on. (laughs) Now, come on now. (laughs) Now, come on now. It harkens back to to classic Pixar, and it it shows us what the studio could be in the future. It shows us where we Mm -hmm. could go. And it shows us the importance of of these stories these stories that are 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 general yeah universal and i think you could say that about any good film um there are mm-hmm. different ways to interpret any good film hence the name of the podcast uh, <laughs> <laughs> um you're really transformed by good film and i think uh i know personally from my experience this film really transformed me uh came out right as i was going into college um as i was about to experience new things and and live a new life i was moving across the country and what better than a movie to tell you hey yeah you're gonna be a fish out of water life is gonna be crazy you're gonna sound like you don't know what you're talking about you're gonna sound like you're a kid and nobody's going to get you, but you're going to find your own people. You're going to make your own place. And that's an amazing thing to hear. That's an amazing thing to hear. I think at any age, you know, even when you're 40 and you're sad and you're alone, you don't have any friends because you're a father. Um, not to say that you're balding. <laughs> you're balding. You're you're balding. Nobody likes you. Um, you know what I mean? It's still, it's still an important message to hear. Um, and that's what I love about this movie. This movie is so, 
I don't. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect movie, but it. But, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. And to me, it is. It is perfect. To me, it is perfect because of how sincere it is. Because of how much it's, it's able to captivate its audience with so little, with so little quirky character designs, realistic background animation, an hour and a half, and I soar every time I watch this movie. I grow deeper and closer to the characters, and those characters reflect more and more of what I find in myself. Um, and I think that is the mark of any good film ever. And I, I, I'm willing for people to make this argument for almost any movie out there. If you want to tell me how, you know, the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie made you feel like this, go ahead. You know, tell Morbius. me. Okay. Yeah, let, let's hear. Let's hear. Those <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm subjective. And to me, I am going to subject myself to probably watching this again sometime soon. So out of five stars, you would give Luca. Oh, Luca has had a five for me for a long, long time. Luca, it's like I said, it's not a perfect movie. It doesn't need to be a perfect movie. But to me, she's very gorgeous to me. She's perfect. <laughs> she's beautiful to me. Yeah, where, 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 where do you land on this? Um, full disclosure. So this was my first time seeing Luca in full length. I've seen, you know, clips and bits and pieces, but never as a full narrative. So on this first watching of Luca, I am going to give it a strong four out of five. I really enjoyed it. I think not only is like the actual plot very, you know, sincere and strong in its own right, but I... I'm very much a nerd, and I love the technical aspect of film, and I think that technically, visually, it's it's stunning to look at, and it does something different, which just goes to show the talent of the team that made the film, not only in their actual filmmaking skill, but in their ability to connect with audiences, so. Yeah, the technical prowess is on display the the score is scoring the visuals are visualing it's this movie is firing at all cylinders it's it's giving us its all and it's allowing us to you know spend almost the entirety of the movie's runtime to sit here and talk just about how special it is um and i think that and it sparks a bigger conversation it sparks it sparks a lot of different conversations which is it's you know that is the nature of film film should make you you should feel emotionally connected to it and i think there's no way anybody's going to walk out of luca not feeling emotionally connected to this in some way with that ashley do you want to tell people where they can find you on social media if they want more of your opinions your hot takes um if you guys really do if you really want them which i strongly advise against but if you really want them um, all my socials are at Ashley with two L's spelled the normal way, M-I-C-H-E-L, all social media, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and now Threads. Hey, I haven't followed Threads. your Threads account once or twice, and that's enough. <laughs> okay, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had a splendid time. I hope to do this again with another film. Yes, uh, hopefully we'll have you back next week for, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know, we'll, just, we'll decide, we'll tease it later. Um, and if you guys want to hear more of my hot takes, or you like want to leave me some hate comments, you can find me at Luis DeSalvio, spelled 
exactly how my name is spelled um on uh, pretty much all social media platforms instagram twitter tiktok threads um i'm missing one i think that's all of them right all the important ones the ones that matter yeah um yeah i uh, look forward to having you in the studio on the pod again um and i look forward to to continuing the conversation with uh you guys in the comments or uh, if you want to dm me and talk a little bit about the movie i'd I'd love to do that as well Uh, i'd like to thank everybody for listening and uh, this has been modes of interpretation